Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Wednesday, June the 8th, as the light of Christ shines on us from Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 is one of those chapters that people can remember. It's the call of Abram. We hear this great story, true story, of a man who was called out of a land that was not necessarily a God-fearing place. And for whatever reason, God chose him and Sarai to be the father and mother of many nations. Quite the story, and it is one of those we remember as children. But also, it's the end of chapter 12 that we don't quite teach in Sunday school. It's not a story that we necessarily equate with all of this, but it's just as much an important story for us to understand about ourselves, about our intentions, and also the reality of sin in our life, which once again points us to Christ, who is the one who has died for it all. So today, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Dave Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor Hines, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, thank you, Brady. It's great to be here, especially just in light of the Pentecost and the beginning of the season as we celebrate the Holy Spirit's work among us. Well, Good thank, to be with you. Yeah, great to, great to have you. So tell us, uh, you know, we're not too far away from each other, but tell, tell our listeners about you, yourself, and the work of the saints at Trinity. Well, uh, I'm a pastor for several years, a wife and three kids. Um, one is going to be a senior here coming up, so lots of things going on there. Um Trinity Lutheran Church, I've had the privilege of serving going on five years, so I'm kind of new to, to the congregation, uh, but the honeymoon is, is gone, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. We're settled in. Um, we have some wonderful opportunities uh, moving around here. We've got uh, an Anuak community among us that is beginning to reform, uh, so there's a little bit of a mission going on there. Um, we're doing a lot of planning for what is to come and working on getting ourselves uh, financially squared away. So we got plenty to tackle, uh, but we have a community to influence. And that's one of the things we keep talking about is what is our footprint in this community? How do we bring Christ to those around us? That ultimately is the goal of the church is to be the people of God in the world until we are brought into eternal eternity with our Lord and celebrate there. That's just a good reminder to all of us as, as uh, to our, you, our listeners, that the church is there to be a witness to the community. And that looks a little bit different in each community, um, each church, each uh, group of people. For example, you maybe have um, that opportunity even in your own home, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's just around the neighborhood of where your church is placed. All that looks differently, but it's the same word, same Jesus, same gifts that you give out. And so I encourage our listeners, one, pray for Trinity Lutheran Church, Sock Rapids, but also pray for your own local congregation and the ways that the Lord would have you serve. So, Pastor, on that note of prayer, can you begin our time in prayer? I sure can, and I thank all the listeners for their prayers for our congregation, and please know that we 
pray for the church throughout uh, the world, and and that includes uh, our listening audience. So let us bow our heads and do just that together. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your loving mercy, you have brought us to hear the living word of Jesus Christ, uh, written for us in a book, but truly not just embodied there, but embodied in the lives of people, embodied first through your Son, who is the living word, and then by your Spirit, given by faith unto us. Please, Lord, bless those who listen by faith, and those who, Lord, are first hearing, may they also be filled with with the renewing grace of your Son for the salvation of their souls. Bless our time together that this might be useful as we talk about the work of uh, God calling Abram and what that will mean for future generations, including ours, uh, and also how you preserve your promise even through sinful people in a sinful world, including us. May your grace be with us, Lord, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning Genesis chapter 12, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, as we begin our time this morning, we're just going to hear all of chapter 12. It is something that is going to be very helpful because, like I mentioned already, we can have a tendency just to remember the first part. So to bring the broad scope of the whole uh, the whole chapter, the full meal deal, if you will, and then to come back and hear some of your first thoughts. And, um, well, I have a question for you when we're done. So let's begin by hearing okay. the word of God. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord Yahweh said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired at Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord Yahweh, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt with Abram, and he had sheep, auction, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. 
But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the word of our Lord. Pastor, we hear chapter 12, and we do hear of Abram a little bit in chapter 11, but now we we are actually seeing what God's plan was for him. So, Pastor, let me ask you this first. Are you ready to sing Father Abraham and many sons from beginning to end? What do you think? (laughs) I can do half of it, but I'll lose it halfway. So if you can remind me, Father Abraham had many sons. I can do some of the actions, too. Once you stick all your tongue, tongue, I'm really glad. (laughs) I'm really glad that you can dive into something deeply theological just to start us right off. That's, That's right. Stuff. It's like the small catechism. Anyways, <laughs> Pastor, where do you want to start as we hear the call of Abram? Uh, well, <laughs> reflecting on the song Father Abraham, uh, this is the place where that starts, uh, actually, because he is not our father until after this call. Uh, and then after the call of Abraham and, and the response, which then also prompts the preserving of the promise. Um, and that kind of summarizes the chapter, I'll say. Uh, then, then we see how God is going to make us children of Abraham, which is really by faith children of the Heavenly Father. Um, verses 1 through 3 are, are where that whole piece starts. That's the common thing that, that if we know much about Genesis, we, we know Genesis 12 pretty well, that first three verses. Uh, Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. Make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. So you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, There's a seven part uh, structure to those first three verses. You've got first this, uh, we'll call it the great commission. Go. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there are many commissionings in scripture for certain individuals and also for all of the, the host of Christendom, uh, not just Matthew, um, Matthew's record of go and make disciples of all nations. But, but even here, go from the country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I'll show you. This is quite ascending uh, because the land he shows him. Uh, first of all, Abraham, Abram starts out in, well, modern-day Iraq, and he'll go 700 miles away to a country in Canaan that he's not known before. So for him to be told to do this is one thing. For him to actually do it is quite another. Mm. And that response actually comes in verse 4, and we'll get to that. But what does the Lord say? Not only first does he say go, but then he gives him some promises. Three promises come next. You've got the go, and then comes, um, I'll make you a great nation. So he's going to multiply the people. He's going to make him a blessing, or he's going to bless him. And he's going to um, make his name great. And then the blessing is described a little bit. bit. Uh, how, how will he do this? Well, those who bless him, he will bless, and those who 
uh, curse Abram will be cursed. And then because of this blessing and curses business, all families of the earth will be blessed through you. That's how Abram's name is going to be great, how he's going to be blessed and how he's going to have a great nation. Um, and that's very significant. I, I think that's what's also cool is right in the middle of that, or, or just after the three blessings, comes this little phrase. And it's in, in our Bibles, it says uh, often translated something like, so that you will be a blessing, mm-hmm. or and you will be a blessing, or um, and God will make you a blessing, something like that. The Hebrew seems to suggest something a little more firm, uh, uh, imperative, shall we say. So you've got the go, then you've got, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless. I'm going to make your name great. Then it comes across this way in the Hebrew, be a blessing, sort of a second commissioning. When you go, your job is to be a blessing. And how are you going to be a blessing? Well, because I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. And then out of that comes the last two pieces of this sevenfold structure, the uh, blessing and curses of those uh, in for him, for those who bless and curse him. Does that make sense? I maybe said that no. kind of confusingly. But uh, those who bless him, they will receive blessing, and those who curse him, they will receive curses. Then the last piece, uh, all families on earth will be blessed mm. because of you. And if if a, a Christian is reading this, they can't help but jump to where do these blessings, where does this all families on earth be blessed? <clears throat> where do we become children of Abraham to sing Father Abraham had many sons? Uh, we are not, you know, here, here in uh Sock Rapids, Minnesota, not too many of us are actual physical descendants of Abram. Uh, we are, however, by faith, children along with him of the Heavenly Father. And he is the father of, of the promise. God gave the promise to Abram first, and through him we have life, or, or through the promise we have life. Um, but all the nations on the earth are blessed through Jesus. So that is ultimately where this will take us. And and as you read Genesis and then on through the rest of scripture, you'll see that link more fully. God will make that covenant with Abraham in chapter 15. That makes a a, a bigger statement about what that's going to look like uh, and and brings more Christological focus. If I can use that fancy word, it brings Christ into the picture better. Um, But we already see God has promised something to Abram. He sends him. And he promises something for him. And then through him, we see him promising the whole world will receive blessing in the name of God's promise. So what is the, the big question then is, what does Abraham do with this? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, uh, you were called not long ago to become, uh, well, a number of years ago to be a pastor in a, a different city. And you picked up your stuff and went. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, we're now elected and in a sense called to be uh, president of our Minnesota North District. And uh, well, you're packing up your church bags and going. Um, but maybe those were more familiar. 
Abram's call is to pack up what family he's going to take with him and leave everybody else and go to an entirely different country that he doesn't know anybody. And, 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 now, and, and pastor, let me, let me say this. this I, I love how you brought this back already to Jesus, because this is exactly what Paul does when Galatians chapter three. And if you right. are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to promise because throughout the gospels, and obviously Paul is addressing this because it keeps creeping back. And I think it's still kind of, it still does today. Um, whenever we try to think of lineage to anything or anybody or connection to anybody outside of Christ, then we are doing the same thing. But basically um, if we try to look at lineages and say, Hmm, am I related to that person or not? When it comes to faith, and then we've totally lost exactly what it is. But very clearly, Paul says that if you are in Christ, you know, this is right. right there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor man nor mm-hmm. female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And then connects it to Abraham, which is why I would hope that somehow, whenever that song is sung, that we are able to say, because we have Jesus, you know, that's why, you know, Father Abraham, that's, I, you know, I'm one of them, and so are you because of Jesus. Somehow we connect that in there. Of course, by that time, your your tongue is outside your mouth, and you're trying to talk, and everyone's <laughs> laughing at you. It's no big deal. I keep going back to that. But there's there's that connection is so prominent, especially when you think of this. Abram, he basically telling them, your name will be great. Well, I can live with that, right? That you will be a blessing. I can live with that. You know, okay, there it is. And all families of the earth shall be blessed because of you, basically. And that's like, wait, that's that's a much higher calling. <laughs> that's well, that's a much it, bigger it, deal. Yeah. <laughs> You're exactly right. I, in some sense, it's staggering. <laughs> and, and if it doesn't bring you to your knees in humility to think, how are you going to accomplish that? Right. Um, yeah, I don't know what will, but... It also makes me think uh, maybe Abraham thought, oh, this this will be good. I got to see this. How is he going to pull this one off? And, and so verse four starts out the next section. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And it goes on from there. And, and just this beginning is, is striking. <clears throat> so God makes this promise. And, and Abram's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I got to see this. Let's, let's check it out. So he packs up and goes, he's 75 years old. I mean, you know, in our way of thinking today, that's post retirement. Right. Absolutely. I guess you can think, what else do I have to lose? But packing all that stuff up, that takes a lot of energy. <laughs> And, and I'm sure that the situation was a little different than we've got today in terms of lifespan and things like that. But the Lord planned something and he chose his man and he called him and the man went. That's significant. Mm. Also might be significant that in verse four, it says that Lot went with him. Still noodling on that one. What, what, what is the significance there? Because it'll come up again later that Abraham in verse five takes his wife, Lot, his brother's son or, or his nephew, um, all their possessions they've gathered and the people they'd acquired. Uh, and then they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Um, <clears throat> I have a feeling that 
uh, Lot is being introduced because he's going to be more significant in the next chapter. Mm. It's probably the biggest reason he's brought up twice there. Uh, but you see, Abram does as instructed, gathers the family and possessions he's got for himself, those who are willing to go with him, and this whole crowd leaves. Uh, that's pretty amazing. And is and I wonder, I wonder if they started singing the song then. Uh, yeah, makes you wonder too. Yeah, and this is where <laughs> <laughs> you know, scripture. There's times where you don't see the explicit words of grief whenever someone moves or moves on. You have mm-hmm. that calling from the Lord, and, and he doesn't highlight the, the emotions in the room. It doesn't highlight the, the situations that are fully there. But the ultimate reality is that they did leave, that God called, and they did it. And that's where, you know, for all of us, we have to always ask that question, you know, what is God calling me to? And, and Pastor, why is it important for us to realize that Abraham was called 700 miles away, but that isn't necessarily our calling? And so how do we, as Christian people, realize, okay, what's God's calling for me? And to make sure that we're doing it appropriately, not just by some kind of internal uh, feeling that we have that God is calling me to this place. Any, any, any encouragement for our listeners on that? Uh, absolutely. Before I get there, I want to ask you, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit. Why do you think scripture, uh, like in this section, doesn't record the emotions of the, the calling or the feel in the room at the announcement? Well, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. Now we're going back and forth at each other. Um, and, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna really stick with I don't I don't know uh, why that would be there. What do you did you have a thought when you asked that question? Well, I, you know it's 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 worth thinking about because our Lord gave us our emotions and He knows the significance, the weight of of the decisions and actions that we make, and also the ones that he has chosen to make. After all, his son certainly displays emotion. Uh, even, even in the garden, praying that this cup would be taken from him as the, probably the prime example. Uh, Jesus knew what the consequences of, of, of certain actions would be. Yet he understood the calling and the, the role he had in the salvation of the world. That was his mission. Abram's mission is not to save the world, nor is ours. But Abram's, Abram's mission was to be sent to be a blessing by being about following God's will to move and let God do his thing to keep his promises. In some sense, not, now I should say uh, through Abram, it's very specific because God is going to give this blessing onto his children and then to a nation and then to all peoples. And that's highlighted and fulfilled in Jesus. But for us who now live on this side of Christ, we see some similarity in the calling, not that we are bearers of a new promise that Jesus is going to come to save the world. He's already done that. But our role now is to be a blessing that the Lord's name is great, that he will bless and provide, 
and that he has already established and will continue to establish his great nation and draw us unto himself. And so in that sense, we, we bloom where we're planted. And when difficulties or, or difficult decisions arise, we turn to the Lord and trust that he will provide in those. That doesn't mean there's not emotions that go involved. It's that do the emotions make the decision or do we seek the wisdom of the Lord to make that decision? That gets into a sticky wicket for me because how do you know when the Lord's making the decision or not? Mm. Um, you know, he doesn't write me post-it notes all the time uh, or send me emails. So one of, one of the things I often pray is, Lord, if this is your will, then make it flourish. If it is against your will, then screw it up entirely. Mm. So I'll know. And we do see that as we get later on, verses 10 through 20, that yeah. if there was a question of whether or not Abram's decision with Sarai was <laughs> God's calling or not, it was became pretty obvious pretty quick that it was not. And so that's where... It, it did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So it, it comes... And, and, and keep going. It, it makes me wonder if Abram had said... You know, Abram, they're, they're moving to Egypt because of the famine. If Abram had turned to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm going there. I'm nervous about the Pharaoh because my wife is beautiful. Um, and I know there's a sense of unrest and uh, there's plenty of violence and, and uh, leaders taking what they want. Um, what should I do? What would that chapter have looked like then? I think chapter 12 would have played out differently. He didn't. Instead, what we have is Abram saying, hey, Sarai, you and I need to make an agreement here. Just pretend you're my sister. Now, looking at that uh, bare bones, that really kind of sends a message of, I'm trying to preserve myself, and I don't care what happens to you or our marriage in order for me to survive. Now, maybe that's taking it too far, but it sure seems to suggest, because if she's beautiful, what's Pharaoh probably going to do? Take her to be his own. So who is Abram looking out for? Yeah, I think there's a question there. What's, now, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big open question there. Uh, however, the chapter's point, I, I believe, is that God calls, Abraham follows, and then Abraham finds out that following is difficult. And the promise is preserved, not because Abraham is such a great guy. And I'm not denouncing that he was a mean guy, uh, or suggesting it, not denouncing that he, he wasn't a good guy. I'm saying that it wasn't based on him the promise was based on God. And God makes that clear because he comes to Pharaoh and, and causes strife for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finds out, obviously through the Lord somehow, that uh, what he's doing is wrong and that Sarai belongs to Abram and they need to let him go. So God provides. That actually, uh, in that respect, it gives me hope too, because there are plenty of times where being a bearer of the promise of God 
I make decisions based on my own fears or uh, lack of trust or uh, cravings and desires. And then when I realized they were wrong, well, the Lord could certainly say, okay, I'll find somebody else to carry the promise. But in his grace, he doesn't. Mm. He calls us and he renews us in it. Thanks be to God for his mercy in Jesus. And in that mercy, Pastor, we're going to have to take our break. We want to talk more about God providing for his people, which we will see. And we are studying Genesis chapter 12 with Pastor Dave Hines, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org Welcome back. We are studying uh, Genesis chapter 12 with Pastor Dave Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. And Pastor, we've, we've gone through these first three verses, which really is something that shows us, it speaks about his name would be great, that he would be a blessing, and, and, and his name would be a blessing to all families throughout the earth, which is interesting to me, too, to think about this. That when it speaks that language, and as we see Abram and Abraham, the name was never about Abraham, as we talked about in Galatians chapter 3, but the name was the name of the Lord, was the focus of all of this. That if everyone was praised in the name of Abraham, um, then we really have lost that reality. So that's one thing that's very important as we look at Abram and Sarai is the question of, you know, living that holy life, is it about my name or is it about the Lord's name, which we can totally relate with in our own lives as well. So, Pastor, how do you want to continue on as we are in verses 4 through 9, really, at this stage, as we look at Genesis 12? Uh, First, as a segue, I'd say that your comment about the names is significant, uh, because it is the name of the Lord, and you see that the Lord even changes later on Abram and Sarai's names to give them a, what we're more commonly used to seeing is Abraham, excuse me, <clears throat> Abraham and Sarah. Uh, the Lord will do that later on as they grow in relation with Him. Uh, so their name is even flexible at this point. The name that will be great ultimately is not Abram or Abraham. It is Yahweh. So Abraham goes, he's 75 years old, he takes a bunch of stuff, and in, and I'm kind of summarizing a little bit here, that's verses 4 and 5, but it says at the end of verse 5, when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of, at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And I love how scripture can be, uh, especially in narratives, the author writes in some kind of generality, like, you know, they, they packed up and they left and they moved, they went through this land 
And then suddenly they can get so specific because here, here we find, you know, Abraham is leaving and they're going to the land of Canaan. And when they came to Canaan, Abram passed through a very specific spot, mm. a place at Shechem to the Oak of Mora. Apparently there's one big tree that, that everybody knows in Mora. And I, I pause there because you sometimes wonder why, why the specific detail? And this is a really cool moment because years later, when Abraham is now much older, his wife dies, and he is already seeing the fulfillment of the promise. It's in a unique way because uh, he he doesn't have uh, a nation of children already at his uh, beck and call. Instead, he's got one son, the son of the promise. Nevertheless, it's still fulfillment. It's God's provision. But his wife is old as well, and she dies. Abraham goes and buys a field in a land that he doesn't own yet, but one that's hinted at right here. At the Oak of Morah. Later on, uh, God will say, in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared, take off your, take your offspring, sorry, I'm reading it wrong, to your offspring I will give this land. And he builds an altar there. Hmm. Now that spot is something Abram later on will purchase so that he can bury his wife in the promised land. He doesn't own it yet. Even after his son uh, is born, after his wife dies, this land does not become his offsprings yet. But Abraham remembers this promise, buys the field as the first, the, uh, um, first fruits or the first purchase of the new land and buries his bride there. That's where he will rest, he and his wife, until Jesus comes. And uh, that is uh, a little foreshadowing already here that God is showing them this spot, I'm going to make yours. All this land eventually will become uh, the gift to your children. And Abram's response When the Lord talks, it's kind of cool in in the beginnings of this chapter that when the Lord talks or speaks or tells him something, Abraham responds. So here in verse 7, Abram, after the Lord uh, spoke to him, he builds an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. Uh, Right away, Abram is, is moved to celebrate, worship the Lord. Uh, unfortunately, the altars that he builds later on in Israel's life will become places of false worship, uh, these altars, uh, because they'll remember that Abraham worshipped there. But that's, that's Israel's issue. Right now, this is Abraham's blessing. Then uh, from there, he moves to the hill country in the east, that's verse 8, east of Bethel, and he pitches his tent, the house of God. And uh, he's got Bethel on one side and Ai on the east, and he builds another altar and calls upon the name of the Lord. And I brought up the, the, uh, the false worship places that Israel will struggle with years later because it seems as though in our lives, the things that we sometimes do with the best of intentions— or even the blessings that were given or utilized to God's glory, Satan is always seeking to find a way to make a curse. And so we struggle with these things, uh, sometimes from 
prior generations, you know, well, they did these things and we see them as negatives. And yet when they began, many of the things that they were doing were with good intention and even godly because they were striving to glorify their Lord. Over time, it became something ungodly because Satan, as long as he is uh, allowed to roam in this world, seeks to devour things and claim them for his own. We again are thankful that the place of worship for uh, Abram isn't as significant as the God that he worships. And God solidifies worship for him in Jerusalem, but ultimately after Christ's resurrection, uh, Jerusalem is a new city, uh, one that the book of Revelation will, will share more with us about that we are brought into a new place in a new relationship with our everlasting Lord, who remains the same. He's the one that becomes the focus. So that's a lot of extra in the text that the text isn't really getting into specifically here, but touching on things that will come up later, uh, kind of uh, cluing you in a little bit. So Abraham journeys on toward the Negev. And, 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 this, that, and Pastor, uh, let me stop you for a moment. Yeah, because because you're on a roll, but I want to stop you just for a moment because <laughs> one of the, the the historical background of this and to see the connections that flow through, I would say we have a tendency to to, to look at this in a uh, VeggieTale light. You know, VeggieTale had a Abraham and Lot kind of you know a, a show. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you kind of oh, just yeah. hit the highlights. This is kind of fun, you know, is Locke going to want that land or is he going to want this land? You know, is Abram want this or doesn't want that? Of course, they don't have Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Veggie Tales. They don't have any of those kind of stories. But it's really interesting how when you highlighted the altar, how often throughout, throughout especially in Genesis, where you have all these, they're building altars. And then later on in the Gospels, he's like, let's build an altar, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And it really comes down to when you see here in verse 7, so he builds there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him, right? Then later on, all right, he goes somewhere else. So, I mean, he built that one there, but then the Okamora, and then he moves on to Bethel and to Ai, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And I think about this quite often when it comes to how we set aside a place to worship in our own congregations, that the emphasis in here is so vital that these altars were not made to say, by the way, Jesus one time came to this place, you know, um, or I saw Moses here in this place. The, the, The idea of this was, this is a place to worship the Lord and also for our own congregations, that they set aside this place not to try to impress the community, um, although that might happen, not to make you know to say, wow, this is this is an amazing structure. Look at I think I think uh, Joe made this and Dave made this and this person made this. But the goal of it is to come and worship the Lord. That is just a very striking aspect, and that runs through all of Abraham, as you see his life that he was building all these things, and his name would be great because it was the name of the Lord. Once again, that theme I think that comes out. So, any any thoughts on that and how it relates to us today? Well, that is sort of where I was 
moving, so you picked that up very well. There you go. Thank See, you. I followed your I followed um, your lead. Yeah. <laughs> um, we built an altar. You know, you build a church. Generations they they go. We built an altar, or we built the sanctuary. My parents did. Um, when when our forefathers and mothers built the altar or built the sanctuary. There was something with that that took precedence, and it's words that came afterward. We built an altar to the Lord and called upon him. Mm. What happens over time is often enough we get stuck on the first words. We built the altar. Ah, nice. And that's never intentional. And honestly, we're so good at masking our own sin that we'll justify and say, oh, no, no, I totally, you know, it's all about the Lord. And yet, this is where you see the church not at her best uh, when we get frustrated with people or have division over the carpeting in the in the, uh, fellow, the entryway or we, we get worked up about whether I'm remembered or not. Um, when it comes to people, we may or may not be remembered. Uh, but when it comes to our Lord, he will never forget us. We're written in his book of life. So the best thing we can do if we build anything is to call upon his name, to worship him there. That is, uh, that's the response that Abraham gives um, because this relationship is new and he knows where his, uh, well, just to use the term, he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows whose promise this is. He knows the only way I'm getting it is through this guy. He knows <clears throat> that where he, where this guy is leading him, there's hope. And so Abraham is putting all his eggs in that basket. And in doing so, he's talking with him. <clears throat> God is speaking to Abram, and Abraham is looking for ways to speak back. How beautiful is that? Mm. It becomes a lot less worry about do I have a comfortable house or um, can I actually stay here for a while or do I have to move? Uh, it becomes a lot less about how much I have or uh, the situation I'm in or how nice my job is. Uh, those things are blessings from the Lord, but it's really about the Lord providing and me being able to connect with him. That That's when you, dive into Abram's walk of faith and, and it is an up and down journey. It's really a powerful one, powerful one to think about your own because each of us in our own moments are given authority and power to be life givers to others. You know, our children, we can have a powerful influence to the Lord upon them and their faith development. But this is not something that we take on as our mantle and say, oh, I'm, I'm the next Abraham and I can do this. No, it's the up and down journey of I'm talking to you because, well, you're great and I need you. And you see Abram doing that here and forgetting to do it when he enters Egypt. But then you see the Lord provide, and then afterward Abraham gets himself re reestablished with the Lord. So that, that 
communication becomes very important. Not what did I build or what did we build, but we built so that we could call upon. I love that. That was great connection, Brady. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, that, that keeps coming around. And, and I, I think this is important, too. Sometimes we're not always great at communicating why we did what we did. For example, the church that, that I've served for 12 years at Messiah, much of this building was, was built by, by many of the people who are still worshiping here. And if you ask them why they did it, you know, it's, it's always something where they, they communicate it in a beautiful way, but I'm not always hearing it correctly. You know? So it's kind of like, well, mm. I, just, I just wanted to serve. You know, and and to me, that's at first our ears hear no different than like when I volunteer for my son's flag football team. I just want to serve, you know, or or <laughs> it sounds like why someone serves on the city council. But the reason why, especially these folks, I mean, they come to church every week, so clearly they are faithful people. That behind those words, which are sometimes hard to hear or understand, is that reality of that they did that out of faith full of faith, knowing that we needed to call upon the name of the Lord. So that's why they did it. And so we pray for that wisdom, pray for that opportunity, and also to hear correctly. But Pastor, right now, we have 10 minutes left in our time, and I really want to make sure we get through 10 through 20, because that's an important piece. We can get to this point and say, he called upon the name of the Lord, and everything was, I like to say this, was a gravy train with biscuit wheels. But that's clearly not the truth. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read those verses, Pastor, and hear your thoughts. So let's go ten through twenty. Okay. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah his wife, "I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife, and then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you." and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord God afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pastor, this is, this is kind of the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the daily soap opera version of scripture as we look at this. <laughs> Give us a rundown as we look at these last 10 minutes. You mentioned earlier that uh, we often read scripture or some of it comes to us in veggie tail bites. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and, and, and there's certainly nothing wrong with some, some simple ways of telling the stories. Uh, but the problem is that when we don't leave childhood, and we stay in that same realm when we don't really realize that the stories are much fuller, more full, either way. Um, <laughs> the, the, the call of Abraham is great. Abraham follows and things are hunky-dory. He builds altars and praises the Lord at those and is in communion with his God. 
But then difficulty strikes. What happens when difficulty strikes? There's a famine in the land. Now, Abraham, notice he, he's promised a place, a land, but he doesn't have it yet. So things are unsettled. He doesn't really have a good way to make uh, ends meet. He doesn't have a way to provide for the family. So he decides Egypt is the best place to go uh, for the famine. So he's trying to make a good decision under sudden duress. You know, the, the, everything up until this point had been good, but now there's stress. And so Abraham's trying to do the best thing he can. When they get there, he's leveled with another layer of stress because now he thinks, holy cow, yeah, we're about to go into Egypt. And this might be bad for me as I'm trying to provide for everybody. What happens when things get stressful? Notice, first of all, what is not involved here. The famine comes, uh, Abram is about to enter Egypt, but you don't see him talking to the Lord. Whereas before you saw that interaction happening quite a bit. <clears throat> well, that may seem significant. Maybe he was talking to the Lord. Maybe the Lord sent him to, to Egypt. Uh, that, that isn't made clear. It's not even specified or, or ref even hinted at. Uh, but he turns to his wife and makes concessions. There, there's a, a challenge there for each of us in that when things are good, we tend to talk to the Lord in good ways. When things get stressful, we start to make our decisions uh, because we're afraid of what's coming or because we think we have to make some fast decision. And maybe the Lord gets some, uh, some play in there, some conversation talk, like after the fact. But usually when, when we speak to the Lord, it's when things have gone really bad, right? You know, now things are terrible. Now I need the Lord. Um, there's a moment usually before things go really bad when we should realize we need the Lord. <laughs> Abraham had this moment. Things get stressful. What am I going to do? Well, talk to the one who's made you the promise. Abram makes his own decisions, uh, and Sarai abides by them, and we are not told what all of that means. What did it do to their relationship? Um, was she simply, uh, whatever you say, I will do? Um, was she uh, feeling more like uh, betrayed by this? Was she scared? We're not told. All we know is that he enters Egypt with his family. The Egyptians do see that she's in a very attractive lady and they praise her to Pharaoh and Pharaoh sees no um, strings attached, so to speak. So he brings her and the family into his house. Now, Abram and the family get a lot of blessings undue to them as sort of like this marriage gift. You know, I'm, I'm going to take her in here. You guys can have this stuff and, and we'll make a deal. And then the Lord doesn't afflict Abram. He afflicts Pharaoh. It's true. Now, I wonder, and again, this isn't specified, but do you think Abram is already afflicted? Are you talking internally? Are you talking other ways? Uh, what, what, I'm what talking you... internal. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. internally. 
Gotta you be. know, here, here he's, he's anxious. He's nervous. He's made this decision. He thinks is good, but he's really not talked to his Lord about it. And now can you imagine a level of guilt? I mean, a level of doubt. Gosh, did I do the right thing? What's going to happen to Sarai? What if, what if things take their course? Uh, will my wife be faithful? She really can't be because I've kind of set her up for this. Holy cow, I feel terrible. What is this going to do to my family? You know, there, there's a possibility that Abraham is very much afflicted by his own sin. But the Lord doesn't afflict Abram with anything external that, that is noticed. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't say the Lord afflicted him at all. Instead, he afflicts Pharaoh and his household with a great plague because of Sarai. Now, the beautiful piece of that, uh, there's a twofold thing going on here. The overarching one is that God knows and has chosen Abram and Sarai to be the, the, the womb through whom the promise will be given and spread. So he's going to preserve that promise regardless of what Abram and Sarai do. But there's a, a smaller microcosm going on here, too, that God is intervening to preserve this family and their relationship, this husband and wife. And that's beautiful, too, that in the midst of temptation and struggle and uh, challenges, even uh, potential violence, uh, the Lord intervenes to provide. And we don't know what Pharaoh heard or heard he, who he heard it from. Maybe he got Abraham to tell him everything. But the way verse 18 is written it sounds almost like God gave him intimate knowledge, not of Sarai. I mean, uh, that he gave him personal uh, instructions as to what's really going on. Pharaoh calls Abram and says, what is this you've done? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Now, how did they know that? Had Pharaoh been talking to the servants? Eh. Did the princes find out? Did they question Abram. See, it doesn't tell you any of that. It, it, that may be because it did happen. We don't know, but it might also be that the Lord simply came to Pharaoh and said, do not touch Sarai, leave Abram alone. That is his wife and you are not to harm them. Mm -hmm. Just the way it comes across, it seems much more divinely inspired, but, but I don't know for certain. What I know for sure is that Pharaoh understands something completely different and says, Abram, if you had been square with me, things might have been different. Oh. You mean if you were honest and told the truth? <laughs> that might be a better way to go? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here she is. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning Abram. And this is maybe a significant way that it ends, too, in this chapter. That Pharaoh not only does not take Sarai for himself, does not harm Abram, but he gives orders to all the men that Abram is clear and all his entourage to take all that they had and leave. Nobody touch him. They are now protected. And is this because uh, Abram handled the situation so well? <laughs> That's obvious. Or is this because God made a promise 
and he keeps his promises. The Lord preserves the promise. He chose, he made a promise, and when he chooses and promises, he makes good on it. That, if I can leave our hearers today with anything and and leave you and I with anything uh, really worthwhile, it is that God has chosen you. And when he chooses, he doesn't, He doesn't let go or change his mind. He has chosen you to be his own. And he's given you a promise through his son, Jesus Christ, that you will be with him always, that he will forgive all your sins, and that he will take us to be with him where he is. That's his promise. And he keeps his promises. Pastor David Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sock Rapids, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 12. Pastor Hines, thank you for bringing us his gifts. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.